We studied through a good part of this uh, chapter in our Bible studies this last week, but as I worked through it yesterday and, and wrestled with it and just kept crying out to the Lord for what the message should be for tonight, we're going to focus down on one short verse. Uh, don't let that fool you into thinking it'll be a short sermon. Never do that. No, no. No, it, it won't be a longer one, but uh, just one great verse that I want to focus on. But I'm going to read, uh, for the sake of context, verses 16 to verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. five. And these are the words of the living and true God. And the Bible says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we trust God will add blessing to the reading of his word. The Christian faith contains the greatest truths humanity is privileged to consider, to know, and to enjoy. For example, the existence of one true God who is one in essence and three in persons. God who is separated over and above and beyond his creation. And at the same time, God who is always present with us, such that there is no escape from his person. And Psalm 139 unpacks that idea really well. God who is personal, who relates to himself within the persons of the Trinity, relating to his creatures and in particular to mankind. That's the God that we are privileged to know. What about the incarnation? That's a great truth of the Christian faith. The incarnation of God the Son in the man, Christ Jesus. Truly God in every way that God is God, Christ is God. And truly man in every way that man is man and yet without sin, Two natures in one person. That's a great truth. We could spend all of our lives just trying to understand those, those two great truths and never tap it all out. What about the salvation and redemption of mankind? Through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, and not on the basis of any works that we have done so that none of us may boast. It is all of Christ. You could spend, again, the rest of your life trying to un unpack and fathom the depths of the salvation and redemption of mankind through Jesus and never get to the end of it. But there is one truth that Paul repeated, repeatedly referred to in all of his writings. It's a result of Christ's resurrection that ought, if it does not already, cause us to pause and wonder. And that truth is contained in two simple words. Anybody guess what they are? No? In Christ. 
Uh, I remember years ago, uh, the night before I baptized my two older boys, I was working late at the workshop, and I was walking through the, sh- the workshop just thinking about baptism and thinking about what I was going to say. I had to preach and, and all the rest of it. And those two words just hit me like a ton of bricks in Christ. And I, I was preaching the message different than this one. And I said, this great truth just suddenly hit me last night. And there was a missionary from Korea sitting down in the front row. And she just called out, in Christ? <laughs> I said, yeah, that's exactly what it was. She had no idea. That's a tremendous truth. 25, more than 25 times in Paul's letter, he uses that phrase. I'll give you just a sample of them. For example, in Romans 3 and verse 24, he talks about redemption in Christ. In Romans 8 and verse 1, that great truth that we love, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, we've been sanctified in Christ. In Christ. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, God leads us in triumph in Christ. In Galatians 2 verse 4, we have liberty. Where? In Christ. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And where is it found? In Christ. Ephesians 2.13, we who were afar off have been brought near, but only in Christ. Isn't that a great truth? You could spend the rest of your life trying to unpack all of the the mysteries, all of the wonders of that great truth. And again, you'd never get to the end of it. In our text for tonight, which is 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now notice in the verse of, of Scripture, the central truth is in Christ. That's the main point that he's talking about. And he has three massive results that flow out from that. They are a new creature, old things have passed away, and new things have come. We're saved by God to live new lives in Christ. Take your Bible, just stick your finger in Second Corinthians 5 and flip back. Just to kind of tie together this morning's message to the evening's message, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 1 to 4, the Bible says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, listen, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's not just going through a tank of water and getting wet. It's the new life we live on the other side of that. We have been raised up with Christ. We're in Christ, so the old things have passed away. We're new creatures, and new things have come. So what does that all mean for us as Christians tonight? So I want to ask and answer three questions. What does it mean to be in Christ, number one? Number two, what does it mean to be a new creature in Christ? And thirdly, what are the new things that have come? And by implication, we're going to look at the old things that have to go away as well. So first of all, what's it mean to be in Christ? This is a great truth, but it is for the Christian. The unbeliever can't live in the light of these things because simply they're not in Christ. 
There's so much for us to be reminded of and refreshed in this evening. As we've celebrated this weekend, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, how are we now to live as a result, as the outflowing of that truth, that reality? What does Paul mean by in Christ? It's to be united with Christ. It's our connection, our being fastened to him by faith. We're joined to Christ by an act of God. We have an intimate communion with God through Christ, the one true God of the Bible. This God enjoys intimate communion and fellowship with us because we have been fastened and connected and related to Christ by faith in God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 4 that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, God chose each individual believer to be in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 that God tells us that God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace granted to us in Christ from eternity. And immediately you go, hold on a second now. I got saved when I was 13. What are you talking about in eternity? How does that all work? We didn't even exist in eternity when God chose us. We did not exist when Christ was alive and walking around on the earth. How is it that he could choose us all that back then and we didn't even live? What those verses of Scripture tell us is that God, looking into the future and knowing we will exist, he considered us in relationship with Christ already, as already belonging to Christ, as having the right to share in all the blessings of Christ's saving work, and those blessings are going to go on. I'll look at them in a second. Don't get this idea that God simply could see the future, and that's the basis of his election. It's so much more than that. That's the way some people try and understand how God chose us and how we still believe. No, it is that, but it's infinitely more than that. God already considered us as in relationship with Christ, as belonging to him, as having the right. It's like when we get married, right? Uh, I got married to a, a lovely lady with a lovely family and, and all the blessings of being included in the Chandler family, even though they, she got to take my name, is I got to share in all those great things about being a part of the Chandler family. She got to share in my family, too, and that's a wonderful thing. She got to share all the blessings of being a part of this family. And it's the same idea. God considered us in relationship with Christ and having the right to share in all the blessings of Christ's saving work. He did it in eternity past. Those blessings are things like this, forgiveness of sin. Declared righteous by God, redeemed, holy and blameless. That's the way we are and will be. Adopted by God, knowledge of God's will, filled with God's spirit. God considered us to be already in Christ to the extent that all that Christ experienced, we experienced with him. So when Christ perfectly obeyed his father, his obedience became ours. When Christ died on the cross for our sin, his death was considered to be our death. Our sin, which we'd yet to commit, was already paid for. Our sin was laid on him. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, 
that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. When Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we were raised with him to walk in newness of life. That's why going through a baptismal tank, it publicly symbolizes the spiritual reality. When Christ died, we died with him. When Christ was buried, we were buried with him. When Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised up with him. And we're raised to live totally different lives. But wait, there's more. Christ not only dealt with our sin, its penalty against us. Christ also dealt with the old self, the old sinful nature that hates God and loves to sin. The Bible tells us that for those who are in Christ, the old self was crucified with Christ so we would no longer be slaves to sin. I read that passage in Romans 6. Uh, He says that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And then he goes on, for we have been united, or we have become united with him In the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we would no longer be slaves to sin. Galatians 2.26. If you have memorized verses, out of curiosity, who here memorizes verses beside me? Okay. I need the other rest of you to change that uh, fact and start memorizing verses. And here's one great one to start with. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. we're, We're fastened to Christ The old self has been crucified with Christ, so we're no longer to be slaves to sin. So what does it mean? What does Paul mean when he says we are in Christ? He says it means that we are fastened and joined to him by faith. God considered us in Christ before the creation of the world. God considered us as participating in Christ's experiences. His perfect obedience became ours. His death became ours. His resurrection, his crucifixion, and his resurrection became ours. And all the blessings that he has, that he owns as Savior and Lord, are ours also to enjoy. Once we were physically born and living, our union with Christ can no longer only exist in God's mind and foreknowledge, we had to be brought into an actual relationship with Christ. So the Spirit of God worked in our lives to bring us into the hearing of the gospel. You all know that, right? Like the moment you were sitting under the sound of the gospel, it wasn't because the Spirit hadn't yet begun to work. He was already working. He was moving you, bringing you to that place where you could be under the sound of the gospel to hear the message of Christ. The Spirit of God worked in our lives to bring us into the hearing of the gospel so that as it was preached and shared, the Spirit of God could apply the work of Christ to us. We heard the message with our human ears. The Spirit of God opened our hearts to comprehend the truth. And at the same time, He made us alive in Christ. It's like He leaned down and just said, Live. And we lived. Or like, I think in the the creation of Adam, 
And God molded Adam out of the dust of the ground, out of the clay of the ground. And he leaned down and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. In a very real spiritual way, that's exactly what God did. He leaned down and blew into us. And we became spiritually alive. We responded by believing in Christ. And we became new creatures in Christ. So then what does it mean to be a new creature? And 2 Corinthians 5, 17, our text says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. As new creatures in Christ, we're alive to God. We're reconciled to God. We are in an ongoing relationship with God. And as new creatures in Christ, we're also dead to sin, separated from it. That's what the old things passing away, that's what that partly refers to. So being in Christ, we're to share Christ's attitude to sin. Um, theologian Wayne Grudem put it like this. He said, we become so unresponsive to the pressures, demands, and attractions of our previous sinful life that Paul can say we are dead to those influences because we have died with Christ. Um, Edward would know this. Uh, you've seen dead bodies when you've gone hunting. You've, gone, you've shot a deer and the thing's dead. No, I mean the body of the deer. <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't go hunting ever. I, did, uh, I got a deer once. It was with the front of my Chevy pickup. <laughs> it, it definitely killed the deer, though. And so we went over there, and I just kind of nudged the deer, you know, and it, it, not a moment of response. It just shifted and back, back again. It was dead. It couldn't respond. There's no brain waves. There's nothing working in it to actually make it kick out a leg or something or react. It's unresponsive. And so when Paul says we're dead to sin, what Grudem says is so right. We become so unresponsive to the pressures, the demands, the attitudes, sort of the attractions of our previous sinful life that Paul can say we're dead to those influences because we've died with Christ. The desire for sin is to be put to death. And immediately you hear that, and what happens? Our heart sinks, doesn't it? Because there is within us a steady ongoing desire for sin. There is within my heart a raging continual battle over who is going to control my thoughts, my words, my actions, the old sinful desires or the new spiritual nature. If you think you're alone, read Romans 7. Paul talks all about that exact thing, what he wrestled with. If what Paul says is true, and it is, and I'm in Christ, and I'm a new, I'm a new creature, then why is this battle raging on within me? Does that mean that I'm not a new creature in Christ? And the answer is no, on the absolute contrary. If there were no internal battle over who is going to control your attitudes, your actions, your thoughts, and everything else, there's probably no spiritual life in you because you wrestle. Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't do, I want to do. And there's a constant tension there. And it goes on throughout this life. The reality is we've been set free from the penalty of sin. Christ died to pay it. We've been set free from the power of sin. Christ broke it. And we will one day be set free from the presence of sin. When Christ returns or we die and the work in us is immediately brought to completion and perfection. But there's also a practical outworking of the truth that we're dead to sin and alive to God. Since power is broken, it's rendered inoperative. But since presence remains in our lives and it still has an influence, 
Um, I probably told this story before, but forgive me for the lack of uh, fresh illustration. Uh, many years ago, I owned something called a Dodge Aspen. Anybody here ever seen a Dodge Aspen? You, you probably remember from America. It was old, 1977. It was a big old boat of a thing, six-cylinder. It never died. But we had one very unique feature on it. You could open the, the bonnet or the hood, if you're American, uh, from the outside. And you could pop the hood and lift it up. And there was something called a high-tension lead that went from the distributor to the, the battery, I guess. No. What do you call it, Peter? The coil to the, yeah, okay. So the power goes from one part to the distributor, right? And so I, I come at my friend Dave's house, and we're hanging out doing all kinds of things that we really shouldn't have been doing. And I come out to go home, and I jump in my car, and I go to start the key. I put the key in, I turn the key, and it's nothing. Absolutely dead. Not a, you couldn't, so I'm stumbling around in the dark, and the lights won't come on. And as I'm stumbling around my hands, something knocked, and I, I felt something against my hand sort of moving. And I thought, well, what's that? And I kind of got a hold of it, and I suddenly realized, oh, it's this black cable thing that looks like it belongs under the engine, in the engine. So I got out, and sure enough, my very smart later-in-life brother-in-law had removed the cable between the coil and the distributor, or whatever the thing is supposed to be called. And because the, the influence of the battery was there but the power had been taken away. It was rendered inoperative by the removal of that cable. So I plugged the cable back in, got my car, started up and drove home. End of that story. Point is this, that it was still there, but it had been rendered inoperative by the removal of that one cable. Sin still works to influence us. Its power has been broken, but it's still there. Its presence remains. It's not a perfect illustration, but you get the point. There's an influence that it exerts. But as new creatures in Christ, we're not to live with the old sinful desires and attitudes and motives. So Paul commands us to deal with the presence of sin. And I want to give us four strategies for doing just that. They all come out of Romans 6 and then Colossians 3. In Romans 6 verse 11, we are to consider ourselves as dead to sin. What does that mean? It means we're to learn to see ourselves as God sees us, as new creatures in Christ, as dead to sin, as alive to God. We no longer to see ourselves as alive to sin, but we're to see ourselves as dead to sin. It no longer has the controlling authority in my life. When we make decisions about what our minds are going to focus on, what our hands are going to be doing, what kind of relationships we engage in, what kind of places we go, what kind of TV and movies and books we engage in, sin is not to have the controlling option. We're to seek God's mind and will in Scripture. We're to seek God's leading through prayer. We cry out to God, lead me not into temptation. That's what Jesus taught us, right? So first of all, um, we're to consider ourselves dead to sin. Secondly, from Romans 6, verse 12, we're not to allow or permit sin to reign in our lives. And thirdly, from Romans 6, 13, we're not to go on presenting the members of our body as tools or instruments in which we engage in sin. We do not permit our mouths to use vulgar and coarse language. We do not permit our eyes to watch sinful content. We don't permit our ears to hear sinful content. We refuse those things. We don't allow our hands to be put to use for sinful work. 
And fourthly, in Colossians 3, verse 11, we're to put off the old dead self and we're to put on the new self. We've been raised with Christ. We celebrate today the resurrection of Christ. We're raised with him. Do our lives look like we've been raised with him? I was thinking about the story of Lazarus and raising from the dead. And the Bible tells how uh, Jesus says, move the stone away. And, and I love the phrase. Mary says, no, Lord, surely he stinketh in the old King James. He's been in there for four days. And Jesus says, he prays, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out still wrapped in the grave clothes. And you know the problem, I think, for a lot of us is we're like Lazarus. We've been made alive. We've come out of the tomb, but we're still wrapped in the grave clothes. We haven't put off those outer wrappings and put on the new thing. We're still associated with what's dead and not living in what is true and alive. We're to put off the old self and we're to put on Christ. We're to put off the grave clothes and put on the new living clothes, if you like, of this life in Christ. And putting off the old dead self is only one side to it. In Colossians 3 again, verses 1 to 11, we're to put off the old dead self and put on the new self. New creatures in Christ are to live with new desires, new attitudes, new actions that reflect our new life in Christ. In other words, we're to actively strive to live as Christ lived. We follow Christ and his attitudes, his mindset, his behavior. But again, we're not to despair thinking all this is simply ours to do on our own. Isn't it great that the Lord did not leave us to work out this Christian life on our own? Yeah, amen indeed, brother. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The wonderful truth of this is... The life we live as new creatures in Christ is not lived in our own power and strength and ability. In Galatians 2 verse 20, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. If you're in Christ, you put off the old dead self. If you're in Christ, you put away the old mindset, the old attitudes, the old actions, and you replace them with godly ones. You can't just do half of it. You've got to do the whole thing. You've got to put off the old man and put on the new. I think one of the problems with the church today is too many of us are trying to live this Christian life in just looking just like the old man, but just enough of a foot in the new world, the new life, that we think we're going to go to heaven, but we can carry on living any way we choose. The reality is that is not true salvation at all. It's putting off the old man. It's putting away what we used to be, the old attitudes and thinking and mindset and actions and putting on Christ. So if we're united to him, if we're in Christ, then his resolve to resist temptation must become our resolve. And we only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. His desire for prayer and fellowship with God must become ours. And again, we only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. His desire to please God must become our desire. His heart of compassion must become our part of compassion. How are we going to do that? 
It's the Spirit of God working within us. It's the Spirit of God producing that evidence, that fruit that He is in us, that produces those responses that are so contrary to nature. When everything in us wants to rear up and shout something that we should not shout, and instead a quiet, calm response comes, that's the Spirit of God at work. When when our natural reaction to something is anger and frustration and flying off the handle, and instead there's a gentle, kind, humble response, that's the Spirit of God working in us. His patience must become ours. His gentleness must become ours. Being a new creature in Christ is about reflecting Christ's image to which we are steadily being conformed, not just to those around us, but most of all to God himself. So being a new Christ, we reflect the image. Being a new creature, we reflect the image of Christ to those around us and to God himself. And brothers and sisters, we'll live in a self-induced misery If we think we live this new life by ourselves, we are in Christ. We're united to him. His life is our life. The same spirit of God who filled Jesus Christ fills us. The same spirit fills us who led and empowered and enabled Christ to live his life. It empowers and enables us to live obedient, God-glorifying lives here and now. Everything that God calls us to do can and must be done only in the power of the Holy Spirit as we are in Christ. Listen to what the Bible says about that. In Philippians 4 verse 13, the Bible says, We do all things in Christ who strengthens us. In Romans 9 verse 1, we can speak the truth in Christ. In Philippians 4 verse 10, we can rejoice greatly in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, in Christ our labor for him is not in vain. In Philippians 2, verse 1, we're encouraged, we're to be encouraged as we're in Christ. We're to agree with one another in Christ, Philippians 4, verse 2. It's not just that Christ is the object of all those actions. Christ and his spirit is the enabling power for those actions for the glory of his name. We're in Christ, and the result is we are new creatures in Christ, and new things have come. So what are those new things? We're in Christ, we're united with him, and every spiritual blessing in Christ belongs to you and I. This is, just sit back and close your eyes if you want, and listen and save some of these tremendous heavenly blessings that we have in Christ. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 4, there's grace and faith and love in Christ. Those are ours. In Colossians 2 verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, and they're ours. I was listening to a a Durban uh, sermon yesterday. Uh, Actually, it was more of a workshop on apologetics. Uh, Jeff Durban is an apologist from uh, Arizona, I think. And he was talking about how it is. He goes out and does uh, street evangelism with people. And he has Mormons and um, abortion, pro-abortion people and Jehovah's Witness. And he's just got this incredible ability to engage with them. And he never loses his cool, which always blows my mind. I think I would have hauled off and punched a few of them the way they talk to him. And he just engages back and forth. And he says, look, if you're coming to an apologetics conference looking to get all the key cool facts all the little bits of phrases and everything to to fire off at people, you've totally missed the point. 
it's not about that. It's first of all about sanctifying Christ as Lord in your hearts and always being ready to give an answer. But it's also being in love with Christ, in relationship with Christ. It's also going to Christ and going to the scriptures. And there we discover all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in him that give us those answers. How do we answer the world's questions? How do we answer the world's problems? I've been in the, in the streets and had somebody come up with a really thorny problem and had to sit there and think, gee, I really don't know how to answer that question. That's a tough one. So where do we find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? You can look through every book you want, but the greatest book containing the greatest treasures of wisdom and knowledge is the scriptures that give Christ to us. In Philippians 4, verse 19, there's a supply for all our needs to live this life from the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we don't lack anything to live this Christian life. Amen? Nothing. He's fully supplied everything we need to live this life. In Ephesians 2 and verse 6, he says, We've been raised up with him. We've been seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. Stop and think about that for a while. It's kind of like, um, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, it's like a man out at sea, and the boat capsizes, and he's tossed in the water, and he's bobbing around there in the water, and uh, where we spent much of our lives in the northwest of Canada, uh, the water is very cold. And one of the biggest problems is if someone goes in the water, you've only got so much time to get them out, especially in winter. Uh, hypothermia can sit in very quickly and people can die. Now you imagine that this guy's in there and he's bobbing around and sure enough the Coast Guard guy shows up and maybe it's a boat and they, they throw him a, a life preserver and he, he manages to make it to the preserver and he hooks himself into it and he's hanging on to this life preserver and hyperthermia is beginning to set in so he's starting to lose, his senses are starting to fall a bit and he's, he's kind of hanging on and the boat guy lifts him up out of the water and just leaves him hanging there. He says, you just hang on. We're heading back to the shore. And, and when we get there, we'll drop you off. And this poor guy's hanging. Of course, he starts moving. And then the cold air hits the cold water in his cold skin. And he's in a worse shape. Oh, he's okay. He's safe. He's, he's out of the water. He's saved. Does God do that with us in our salvation? Just get us out of God's wrath and leave us hanging out there? No, the other side of it is absolutely true, too. We've been raised up with Christ, and not only that, we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Take some time in the next couple of days to stop and think about what that means. All of what Christ is, all of who Christ is, is ours in Christ. We're seated with him. We're reigning with him. We're ruling with him. We share that great treasured place right beside him in heaven for all of eternity. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, where Christ is. We've been raised up and we have been seated with him. We share that heavenly place in Christ. 1 John 5, verse 11, the Bible says there is eternal life in Christ. The new things that have come, no unbeliever shares these things, brothers and sisters. Now, that's going to do one of two things. It's going to make us keep them to ourselves and think, well, it's more for me. 
No, that's the wrong answer. We don't want to do that. It's also going to drive us out to go out outside this wall, outside the walls of this church, and make the gospel known so that others can also share in all these tremendous rich blessings. All those new things that have come for us can also come for them. 1 John 5, 11, there's eternal life. In, in Psalm 16, verse 11, the Bible says, In the presence of God there are pleasures forever. Read that again to yourself. In the presence of God, there are pleasures forever. Paul wrote, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 2, that the eye and the, the heart of man has not even begun to conceive of all the things that God has prepared for us. In Christ, we will know the pleasures of God forever. We think this world holds some nice treats, some nice things to enjoy. It's nothing compared to what God is preparing for us in Christ. In the presence of God, there are pleasures forever. Those are the new things that we are looking forward to enjoying. Those are the new things that we're already enjoying. We have a foretaste of them now in the presence of the Spirit of God living within us. But the question at the end of the day comes down to the first part of that verse. If anyone is in Christ... All these tremendous blessings are ours to enjoy if we are in Christ. But the question is, are we in Christ? Do we know what it means to be fastened and joined to Christ? Do we know what it means to be a new creature in Christ? Do we know what it means that the old things have passed away and new things have come? You see, how do we know those things? At the end of the day, it's faith in God and turning away from sin and fleeing to Christ for salvation and joined to Christ. It's like a wedding. A wedding is a beautiful picture. I had a discussion with somebody about polygamy uh, not long ago, and I thought one of the worst things about polygamy is it distorts and ruins the picture of Christ and the bride. And in a sense, all of us have been betrothed to Christ. He is our bridegroom, if you like. And right now we enjoy something of all the blessings that we will have as we are united to Christ now. And one day we'll be face to face and united fully with him. But we're enjoying a little bit of those, the blessings, a little bit of the joy. Did anybody see Sharon today? You see the glow on Sharon? You know why there's a glow? There's, there's a, I think there's a shiny rock on one of her fingers. I'm not sure if she has a wedding ring or engagement. No, not yet. Okay, never mind. Don't, don't tell her I said that. Uh, but she's engaged to be married, right? Her face is shining, and, and she's, she was taking her, her, her man around today and showing him and introducing him off to people, showing him off introducing him to everybody. So this is the guy. And she's so excited because in not very long time, she's going to be fastened and united with him. They're going to know all the joys of marriage and life together as a married couple. And for us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been betrothed to the lover of our souls, the one who died for us. And the old is gone. We're not looking around at anybody else anymore. All our thoughts are focused on Jesus. And we're longing for the day when he comes to take us to be with him. But we're already enjoying all of the blessings that go alongside of that engagement. Just as Sharon's enjoying all the blessings of being engaged and the anticipation of that wedding day and that marriage ceremony. In India, they do it for what, like seven days or something like that? It's 12? 
A lot, yeah. It's a lot. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, stop and think for a sec. Our wedding, if you like, our marriage to Christ will be for eternity. And all the blessings that we are enjoying now as we are in Christ, this is just the tiny, this is just the tiny little rock on a ring compared to what it will be. Make sense? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. What a tremendous blessing we have to be in Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, we give thanks again for your goodness and your grace to us. Father, we thank you for this rich and wonderful truth in Christ. And Father, in the short 35, 45 minutes, whatever it was that we looked at this, we couldn't even possibly begin to unpack all the depths of the meaning behind those two wonderful words. But Father, we give thanks that it was your grace, your mercy, it was your foreknowledge before the creation of the world to look all the way down through the annals of time to see each of us and to know us intimately to consider us already fastened together with Christ. Father, to work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, to bring us into contact with the gospel, that we might hear the message, that the Spirit of God might apply the work of Christ to us and open our eyes to see the wonder and beauty of Christ, to make us new creatures in Christ, and give us the faith to believe. And Father, we give thanks We praise you, O God, that the power of sin has been broken, rendered inoperative. The presence of sin is still there, but one day we will be removed from that. And Father, for those, for all of us, Father, who still wrestle like Paul did, Father, we pray that you would help us. Father, keep us from those things that tempt us. Father, we pray and and just call that promise that you made us, that you would always provide us a way of escape, a means of escape. Father, we pray that you would keep working in us. Father, we pray that you'd help us to put off the old man and put on the new man. Father, help us, we pray, to live in light of the tremendous blessings we have in Christ. Father, we ask you for your blessing on this this church of ours. We give thanks, O God, for every single member. Father, for Noel tonight, still in the hospital, Lord, and looking forward to more of the radiotherapy over the next couple of days. Father, we pray that you'd be near to him, encourage him, strengthen his heart, O God, for all the things that are to come. And Father, we thank you for his strong faith in you. Lord, we ask you for your blessing, and we give thanks for our evening and our day together. In Jesus' precious name, amen.